Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Well, before the, uh, the Christmas break, my plan was to uh, record the third and what I thought would be the final message of 2 John and just put that directly to the podcast. And I did do that. There is a third message on the podcast covering verses 7 to 9. But as I was studying those verses and studying 2 John, it became apparent to me that this series would, would require four messages. And I thought that it'd be best to finish it out with you all here tonight. So regarding our series in Daniel, studying the book of Daniel, we're going to begin that next week. But tonight we're going to finish out the last few verses in 2 John, specifically verses 10 to 13. So you guys can go ahead and and turn there if you're not already doing that. But before we dive into our text for tonight, I need to ask you all a few questions. And the first question is, how do you all greet your friends? So people that you like, people that you want to be around, how, how do you greet them? Anybody want to, want to volunteer that? Say, what's up? I heard that. Okay. A hug? Okay, hug. Oh, that's very, that's very sweet. What else? Is there like a certain handshake, certain way? Like what, let me, let me ask it this way. What, what is like the key feature of a greeting that, that communicates you are a good friend of mine? I'm, I'm, I'm not hearing much. So, snap? I'm confused. I'm confused. Do you guys have any friends? Come on. Come on. You should know this, right? I guess you don't have any friends. Okay. All right. Well, maybe you'll know this question. How do you greet people who you do not like or who you know do not like you? Turn around and walk away. Don't say anything. Ignore them. Pretend they don't exist. Or be extremely nice. I get, but I'm hearing more of ignoring them, walking away. That that one got a lot more excitement. That question than greeting people that you actually like. So that's a little bit concerning. Not gonna lie, but uh, but I understand. All right. Now the reason I ask these questions is they will be directly relevant for our message tonight, as as we will see. So just keep that in mind. As, as we go through this, but it will be relevant. But let's now turn to 2 John, if you're not there already. And to give you some important context, I do want to briefly read and summarize verses 8 to 9. So I'm going to begin reading in verses eight, well, verse 8, and then give you a brief summary, assuming that most of you probably were not listening to the podcast over the winter break. And I don't take any offense at that. I know, I know that you all are very busy. So let me summarize, but we'll start by reading. And God, speaking through the Apostle John, says in verse 8, Watch yourselves, 
that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So again, this is going to be a brief summary of these verses. If you want to know more, the podcast is up there. But to briefly summarize, in verse 8, John commands all his readers, which now includes us who are studying this letter, to watch, or you could think of it, guard ourselves. To watch and guard ourselves. And the reason given is so that we will not lose the blessings and the rewards that come with being in the truth. And as you might remember from a few of our messages in December, truth is a central theme of this letter. It's a central theme, specifically the preservation and the protection of truth. And here in verse 8, John is commanding his readers to guard themselves in the truth. And the reason that believers need to guard themselves is because, as we've mentioned before, there are human agents of Satan, people who belong to Satan and serve Satan, who profess Christ, even though they belong to Satan, and who infiltrate Christian churches and Christian communities to do the work of Satan. Whether they know it or not, such people exist. And because such people exist, we need to guard ourselves so that we will not depart from the truth ourselves, so that we will receive that full reward and blessing. Now, to help us guard ourselves, in verse 9, John gives us a test to help us identify who belongs to Satan. And according to John, those who belong to Satan are those who are not faithful to the teaching of Christ. And that teaching of Christ includes the teaching about Christ, so what is true about Christ and who he is. It also includes the teaching from Christ, which then includes also everything that the prophets teach who are speaking on behalf of Christ. So then that includes all of Scripture. So anything that can be clearly understood from Scripture could be included in this teaching of Christ. And if somebody departs from that clear teaching of Scripture or clear teaching about Christ, then they do not belong to God. They instead belong to Satan. Now again, if you want to know more about this principle in verse 9 and, and even how to discern when a person falls outside of that teaching or how far is too far, go to the podcast. But... We are going to be in verses 10 to 13 today. And so turning our attention to verse 10, now that we have that brief summary in context, God speaking through John is going to tell us readers how to deal with people who fail the test given in verse 9. So if you know somebody that fails the test and you know that they do not abide in the teaching of Christ, then verse 10 is going to begin giving us instructions that is going to tell us how we are to interact and deal with such people. So starting now in verse 10, it reads, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. 
Now, this teaching, of course, is the teaching of Christ that he just mentioned in verse 9. That is what this teaching is. And the first thing John says in verse 10 is that if anyone does not bring this teaching, in other words, if they are rejecting the true teaching of Jesus Christ or the true teaching about Jesus Christ, then you must not receive, it, receive that person into a house. And it's implied your house or whatever house that, that, you are, that you're over. So this is the first command that, he is, that John and really God through John is giving. Do not receive such a person into your house. And to understand what it means to receive somebody, because that should be a question that we ask, okay, what does it mean to receive somebody into your house? Does it mean that you, know, you don't invite the plumber into your house or the carpenter into your house if they don't meet certain conditions? What does this mean? Right? So well, to find out what this means, what we need to do is we need to take the word receive, and in Greek it's the word lumbano is the, is the Greek word for it, and we need to see how that word is used elsewhere in Scripture in a similar way to help us determine what this word means here. And so the first place that we can go to is in the Gospel of John. And uh, if you'll turn with, with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. And this event that we're about to read about, this is when Jesus walks on water in the stormy sea of Galilee. And so in John 6, starting in verse 19, it reads, Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at, was at the land to which they were going. Now, Mark, the Gospel of Mark also talks about this event. And in, in Mark's account of this event, it says that the disciples initially thought that Jesus was a ghost. They didn't recognize at first that it was Jesus who was walking on the water. So they're seeing this, this person. It's dark out. It's stormy. You know, it's it's going to be hazy. They see this person coming to them. They've never seen this before, and they think this must be a ghost, and they are terrified. And of course, when they believe it's a ghost... They want nothing to do with Jesus. They're, they're afraid. But once they find out that it's Jesus, now they're willing to receive him into the boat. All right, another passage that will help us is in John chapter 1. In fact, we read this at the beginning of our service tonight. John chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. And... It says, he came to his own, that is Jesus, came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. So from this passage and the passage before, we see that this idea of receiving somebody is more than just inviting them into the physical space that you're, that you're in at the moment. It also involves welcoming the person as a trusted friend and as a family member. 
And of course, we read in John chapter one, it also, in the case of Jesus, means that you're believing in Jesus and that you're accepting him and receiving him as Lord and as your savior. So again, receiving is more than just inviting somebody into a physical space. So going back to now 2 John verse 10, we can say that to receive somebody in your home means you are welcoming a person into your home as a family member or as a very close and trusted friend. And then it, it implies that you would be providing all the forms of hospitality that you would provide to your own family members. So that may include giving them a room to stay with sheets and towels, letting them use your restroom, feeding them, giving them something to drink, all of the forms of hospitality that you would give to your, your mom, dad, brother, sister, or, or your best of friends. That is what it, it means to receive somebody into your home. And in the context of the lady and the Christians who received this letter of 2 John, since they were living in a time when the churches met in homes, and we talked about that last month, then this, this idea of receiving somebody into a home could also apply in their context to welcoming a person into their church as a fellow Christian or as a fellow brother and sister in the faith. So in our context, we're not meeting in homes for our main worship services, maybe Bible studies, but, but we could apply it even to our context by saying that it would be the same as welcoming somebody into the church as a fellow believer and as a fellow brother and sister in Christ and giving them all the privileges and the love that you would give to another believer. So again, in verse 10, receiving somebody into your home is more than just saying, hey, come on in, or inviting them in for some kind of business. So in the future, because I'm assuming that most of you are not the ones calling the plumber, calling the carpenter, it's probably your parents, but in the future, if you have your own home or apartment, and you do call a handyman, you do not need to verify their theology before you let them in. You don't need to put them through a test and say, are you abiding in the, in the teaching of Christ before I'm going to let you work on my sink? No, you don't need to do that. That's not what this verse is talking about. That would be a bad application of this verse. So here's the first, this is, we just talked about the first instruction or command given to the readers of this letter, given to us Christians. Now, let's turn to the second instruction that is given here in verse 10. And I'll read it again here. It says, and do not give him a greeting. So not only do you not welcome them into your home as a family member or a trusted friend, but it literally says, do not speak to him a greeting. In the original Greek, that's how it literally translates. Don't speak to him a greeting. Now, what does greeting mean here in this verse? What does it mean to speak a greeting or to give a greeting? Well, in the Greek, the word for greeting refers to a positive or friendly greeting where you are wishing somebody well. Now, in, in English, we don't have too many different ways of saying, you know, hello. So usually, how friendly your greeting is depends on your tone of voice and, you know, your body language and so forth. But there are sometimes some phrases where, 
you know, you might say, good day to you, right? Is that more of a British thing? Or if, uh, or if, uh, if you're Irish, I, I saw this one. If you're, any, any Irish people here? What do Irish people say? You guys know? Top of the morning to you. <laughs> Top of the morning to you, right? So, that, so there are those phrases where you can say, you know, you could, you could say a very elaborate greeting that's very friendly, very welcoming and warm, but oftentimes it's how we say it. It's our body language, it's our tone. But, in, but here, it is simply referring to a positive or friendly greeting where you are wishing somebody well. In other words, it is a friendly and joyful greeting exchanged between two people who are on good terms with each other. You wouldn't be greeting somebody who was your enemy in the way that is being described here. So when it comes to anyone who does not bring the teaching of Christ, anyone who is not faithful to the teaching of Christ, then Christians are being commanded here to not even speak a friendly greeting to them. To not even speak a friendly greeting, to essentially shun them. To shun them and and to give them the cold shoulder. Now before we move on, I do want to qualify the anyone here in verse 10. Because it says anyone, right? So what does that mean, anyone? Does that mean any unbeliever? Because obviously unbelievers don't abide in the teaching of Christ. They don't believe what we as as Bible-believing Christians believe. So does it apply to them? Does it apply to Muslims, other religions? How how broad is this term, anyone? Well, what I would argue to you is that the anyone here is not, one thing that we can know for certain is that it is not referring to to known unbelievers who are atheist or who are ignorant of any of, of biblical truth. What I would argue is that the anyone refers to professing Christians, people who claim Christ, but who do not remain faithful to the teaching of Christ, which means they're either teaching something false about Christ or about Scripture, or they're living in a way that is hypocritical and contrary to Scripture, yet they're claiming to be Christian. To prove this to you, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, right after the letter to Romans. And uh, I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 9 to 13. So 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13. And here is the Apostle Paul speaking... And he says, starting in verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. It's the same kind of idea. But then he goes on to qualify in verse 10, I did not mean, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters or for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So in other words, from the Christian perspective, our judgment 
is primarily directed towards people within the church in the sense that we are called by God to hold fellow Christians accountable to the truth of Scripture and to the truth of God. And if people and if a so-called Christian does not want to do that, they do not want to abide in the teaching of Christ, then the church is commanded to remove such a person and to disassociate from such a person. So as we see from this verse, God does not expect Christians to detach themselves from the world or to shun unbelievers. In fact, if you are a Christian, I will say, we can say that it is true that you're not going to have the same level of trust or friendliness with an unbeliever as you would with a true believer. There's going to be a deeper, more intimate relationship between true believers. But I would say that you should not shun relationships with unbelievers so long as it does not cause you to compromise in your faith or to affirm some sin that they're participating in. So if you don't have to compromise in your faith, then it is okay and good to develop and cultivate those relationships. And mainly for the sake of the gospel, right? That's what the hope would be. By being friendly, by cultivating a friendship, a friendship with an unbeliever to an extent, again, not that you're going to do everything that an unbeliever does. You're not going to, if unbelievers are going to the club, you know, at, at some point, like you're not going to go with them for the sake of the gospel, right? There's, there's some places, but you might go other places with them, or you might have a dinner with them for the sake of the gospel. And the hope would be that God could use you to bring such an unbeliever to faith in Christ. However, if somebody professes to be a follower of Christ, but they promote a false teaching or they continuously live in sin with no repentance, then God does expect you to shun that person and to disassociate from that person. In that case, the only interaction that is appropriate is telling that false Christian to repent from their sin and their false ways. You, you, would, you would tell them that. You, you could say, hey, you know, I do care about you. That's why you need to repent. You need to turn away. You need to live consistent with Scripture. Otherwise, there is no relationship here. It can't, there can't be. Now, going back to 2 John, a question we could ask is why does God, through John, command believers to not even speak a friendly greeting to false Christians. What's the point of this command? What's the reason for this command? Well, verse 11 gives us an explanation. So if you're looking with me in 2 John, verse 11, John gives the explanation for his instruction in verse 10, and he says, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. This is the explanation. So in other words, according to this verse, the reason you must not greet a false Christian or welcome a false Christian as a brother or as a sister is because greeting such a person causes you to participate in their evil deeds, which includes their false teachings and their immoral lifestyle. Now, how is this so? I'm going to give you two possible explanations. But I, I think that there's even more. But for the sake of time, 
I'm going to give you two. Two explanations that can help us understand how greeting such a person can cause us to participate in their evil deeds. So number one, we could say that greeting a false Christian encourages that false Christian to remain as they are and to continue promoting their false beliefs. It encourages them that they are okay. And if you remember, the type of greeting that we have been talking about and that is mentioned here in this letter is a greeting shared between two people who are on good terms with each other or who at least want to be on good terms with each other. So this is a friendly greeting. So to greet such a person, if a true Christian were to give such a friendly greeting to a false Christian, then it would be the same as the the true Christian telling that false Christian that what they believe, what they teach, or what they do is okay. There's nothing lost. There's no break in the relationship. It's perfectly fine. That is what such a greeting would communicate. And to illustrate this, let me get, I'll use a marriage illustration, for example, okay? Let's say as the husband, I say or do something that is offensive to my wife, or that's insulting. But I don't know it. Maybe I don't know it. Maybe I'm just ignorant, and I have no idea that what I'm doing is wrong. But, I, but nonetheless, I do it, and I insult and I offend. If I come home, and I say, hey, wife, how's it going? Or, hey, Carissa, how's, how's it going today? And she doesn't say a word. Just silent treatment. What is that? That's going to communicate to me, oh, no, something's wrong here. What did I do wrong? Or what's going on? Right? Or even if she just, if I say, if I like, hey, Chris, like, how are you doing today? Fine. It's like, oh, okay. It's like, oof. It's like, it's like the, the dagger goes right in, right? Like, what did, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do wrong? Right? So, you, even, so a greet, like a lack of a greeting or a very terse, unfriendly greeting can communicate, hey, there's something not right here. You've done something to offend me or, or something that is offensive and there's a, there's a fracture in this relationship. On the other hand, if I come home and I did something that was offensive or insulting, and I, I come home and I say, hey, Chris, how's it going? And she's like, oh, darling, so good to see you. Here's, you know, here's a, a hot cup of tea and a cupcake and you know, sit down on the couch, like everything. And let's say this was sincere, right? You know, what am I going to believe? What am I going to assume? I'm going to assume like, man, I'm the greatest husband in the world. Like, look at how much my wife loves me, right? You know, like, obviously, I'm doing everything right. So, that, so that's an illustration of how, how you greet somebody can communicate approval or disapproval. And so as a Christian, and you, have to, and you have to understand that as a Christian, you are a representative of Jesus Christ to other people. How you communicate to other people is going to impact the testimony of Christ. And it's going to communicate potentially truth to a person versus falsehood. And I would even say that as a representative of Christ, if you are going to be a faithful representative of Christ, then you must adopt the same attitude that Christ has toward false teachings and hypocritical lifestyles. And so even if right now a false teaching is not offensive to you or it's not insulting to you, to Christ it is. 
It's extremely offensive because it is those false teachings and false beliefs that lead people to spiritual destruction and judgment and keep people away from the truth and ultimately from their salvation. So because it's offensive to Christ, it must be offensive to you and how you interact with a false Christian should communicate that what they do, what they teach is in fact offensive. You don't want to demonstrate any approval that would go against God, making yourself an enemy of God and ultimately encouraging the false Christians to continue in their false ways. And that is one reason that if you do give such a friendly greeting, you are participating in their evil deeds. All right, number two. A second example of this is that greeting a false Christian can communicate to others that the false Christian is trustworthy. So to think about this, there was a number of years ago, I was watching a documentary of some guy that was trying, like this, he was like this lion expert, you know, like, you know, hung out with the lions and stuff. Well, he was trying to experiment where, to see if he could get, how close he could get to a wild pride of lions. He was gonna like do this whole like month-long project to see if he could get within touching distance of these lions or if they would kill him, right? And there came a point that if he got too far, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm too close to the lions. I'm closer to the lions than I am to the trucks. So there was like a point where it's like, this is the point of no return. I can't get away if they, if they charge me. And one thing I remember from that is he said, and I don't know if this is true, but this is what he said, and, and it actually worked, okay? But he said, what I need to do first is get the approval of the male. So I need to get the approval of the male. Now, contrary to what a lot of people think, right? Like they, they think of the female lions, the lionesses as the hunters, and that is true. But then they kind of maybe, you know, think that, oh, the males are weak, you know, or they're, they're not strong, or they, they're dominated by the lionesses. That's actually not true. The male lions, although they're not the primary hunters, they are there for the protection of the pride. They're there to protect the pride from, and, and mainly the cubs from other male lions that would want to take over the females for, for themselves and they will kill all the cubs, to protect the pride from hyenas and other predators that might come after the, the cubs. So the, the male lions are primarily the protector of the pride and they do have that, you could say, leadership within the pride. So this lion expert said, in order to get close to the females and to the cubs, I need to get the approval of the male lion. And if he approves of me, then I'm good, I'm good to go and I can keep going forward. They won't, he, he was convinced they will not, the females will not attack me if the male is okay with me. And so sure enough, that's what he did at first. He started to like talk to the male lion, like, hey, buddy, and, you know, kind of go. And, you know, every day he'd get a little bit, a little bit closer. And towards the end, he actually got right up to, I mean, like the cubs were coming and like sniffing him and stuff like that. And he wasn't getting attacked. Crazy, right? But this illustrates that there, there, there is a sense in which even for us human beings, if we are in a position of trust, and that can be a position of leadership, of course, that's a given, but also a position of trust among your friends or among your family, 
If you're in that position, the people that trust you or that look up to you, they're going to, to observe how you interact with other people. And so if you, as a Christian, are giving a friendly greeting to a false Christian who you have good reason to believe is a false Christian, then what you're communicating to those other people is, hey, this other person's trustworthy. You can, you can listen to him, right? And think about this in your own context, right? So think of your own friend groups, there's probably, you know, some more, in any friend group, there's maybe one or two that are more influential than some of the others, right? And but maybe you all are, look, we're in a new day, new era, you're all influential, right? You're all, you're all equally, you know, part, part of, the, of the group, right? Well, imagine you are one of the influential friends, and you, you know, you, you, there's a person that you've met somewhere else, no one else knows, but you say, hey, what's up? You greet them friendly, you, you give them your support, are your friends, other friends, not more likely to accept that person if you accept that person? Or if you can think of a friend that you trust and respect and look to for that kind of influence, if they warmly greet somebody, are you not more likely to accept that person as well? Right? So the same, the same principle is at play here. If we as Christians, if we show hospitality toward false Christians, if we greet them in a friendly way, then it really serves as a form of endorsement for those who trust us. And again, if you endorse a false Christian through a greeting, then the problem really is that you are giving that false Christian an opportunity to influence and corrupt those who trust, those who trust you. And this is especially true for pastors. And I've even seen this, arguably have seen pastors who do not do not have their guard up enough. And they welcome other pastors or other ministries and it it it, it can very quickly lead start leading people astray. But that's I mean a whole nother conversation for another time. But but it is true and this principle is true. Greeting a false Christian communicates to others that the false Christian is trustworthy. All right, so these two examples, they, they are just two. Again, I think there are more that we could cover, but these two, they, they at least show us somewhat how welcoming or greeting a false Christian as a fellow Christian, as a partner in Christ, makes us a partner with them in their evil deeds. And we could even say that by shunning such false Christians and giving them the cold shoulder as we're being commanded to do, then not only are we protecting ourselves from participating in their evil, but we are also protecting those who trust in us. We're protecting them from falsehood. All right, now let's look at the last two verses and come to our conclusion. So last two verses, verses 12 to 13. John says, Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. And there he's specifically talking to the lady. It's in the singular and so these children are likely other believers that 
possibly belong to either a sister of hers, they're meeting in her, in her house, or, uh, or another, a sister in Christ. And they greet her as well. Now, when we read verses like these in the conclusion to this letter, it is very easy to skim over the details, thinking that this is just a standard personal farewell. And so, okay, I'm just going to read through nothing, nothing important. However, if you remember what I've said about the past in the greetings of New Testament letters, you might remember that I have made the case that all the details matter, that what is said and what is not said is important even in these parts, these personal parts of the letters. There's a reason John ends his letter this way, and let me give you my opinion as to why he ends it in this way. And that is, if this letter ended at verse 11, if, all, if it was just like, do not even greet such a person, okay, end. All right, have a good day. If that's how the letter ended, there would be arguably a temptation to not greet or show hospitality to any professing Christian, right? Because if you just want to protect yourself from, from this 100%, you just say, well, I don't care. If I don't know them, I'm not greeting them at all. I'm just going to be extra careful. Or we may be tempted to be cold to all professing Christians until they can prove to us that they have the right theology. And so you have a church, if, if a church did this, just like you walk in the church, it's like ice cold until you can give your, your proof. And then, and then it's like, oh, you're the you know, you're greatest friend ever, right? That, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't be a good thing if churches did that. So by ending his letter in this way, I would argue that he is preventing Christians or at least providing an opportunity for Christians not to misapply this letter. In other words, by keeping this letter short, because he says, I have many more things to write to you, but I don't want to with paper and ink. By keeping this letter short and saying that he would rather communicate face-to-face, John is ending this letter by emphasizing the importance and necessity of face-to-face fellowship among Christians. That, that it's still important among true believers. And I can say, I've now been a Christian for about 10 and a half years, Carissa even longer. And both Carissa and I have fellowshiped, we've had the privilege of fellowshipping with believers from all parts of the United States and all parts of the world, from Greece to Romania to China to, to everywhere in the places that we've been. And the longer that I'm a Christian, and I think that Carissa would agree with this, I can say that having sincere fellowship with other Christians and being able to witness God working in their life is the heart of Christian joy. It is what brings the most joy as a Christian. And if you think I'm crazy, just turn over to 3 John. I'm going to read the first four verses and he says, and this, this letter is a companion to 2 John. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as, your, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is how you were walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. This is the joy of Christians, to be in fellowship with fellow believers and to see and be able to witness God working in their life. On the other hand, I can also say that during my time as a Christian, 
I have personally witnessed friends and teachers walk away from the truth of Christ and embrace false teaching. Some of the false teachings that we covered in the Sunday, the Sunday school series that we did last month. And I can say about that that there is no greater disappointment and heartache as a Christian than to see people you know, some of whom you are good friends with, depart from the truth and reject the faith. There's no greater disappointment. All right, we've come to our conclusion. No, I'm a few minutes over. But as we wrap up this study, there are four points that I want you to walk away with. So four points, and we'll go through these quickly. Four points to walk away with from your study of 2 John 1. You need to understand and appreciate just how, how important truth is to God and how important it should be to you, and that should hopefully motivate you to study your Bible as much as possible and to place yourself under good biblical teaching in order to grow in the knowledge of the truth. Number two, you need to understand that Satan has human agents who pretend to be Christian and who infiltrate churches and Christian communities. And this means you can't just blindly trust any Christian influencer or pastor. No matter who they are, you have to test them against the clear teaching of Scripture, just like the Bereans tested the Apostle Paul. They examined what he was the apostle and they still examined what he said against scripture. Number three, if you know that a professing Christian is promoting false teaching or living an unrepentant and hypocritical lifestyle, then you do need to distance yourself from them and avoid affirming them in any way. But here's number four, if somebody is a true Christian, then you should welcome them like family and prioritize face-to-face fellowship with them, just like the Apostle John. And I believe that if you take these principles to heart, then the Lord will bless you and make the joy of your salvation complete. Let us pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word, even small letters like the letter, like the letter of 2 John, Lord, and, and even the truth that is within such a short letter. We are so thankful for the encouragement that it provides, but also the warning that it provides, Lord. We are not always safe in a spiritual sense, Lord. There are false teachers. There are agents of Satan out there. And so first, Lord, I just pray that you would protect us from their influence, that you would give us discernment to be able to recognize them and to to protect ourselves and our friends from such people, Lord. And ultimately, Lord, I just pray that as we begin this new year, as we study the book of Daniel and even beyond, that you would just, that this year would be a year of blessing and growth in the knowledge of you and of your word. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.